0: hopelessness. This is the depressing feeling that we experience whenever we find ourselves suffering in a state of despair. It's sad to say that we live in a day and age when more and more people are struggling with the sadness that stems from these feelings of hopelessness. For example, it was back in 2021. That's when a study on mental health and suicidality amongst high school students ended up revealing that 44 percent of the students who were polled well, they admitted that they, were, that they were suffering from persistent feelings of hopelessness. The same study also revealed that nearly 60 percent of the teenage girls who responded to this poll feel persistent sadness and hopelessness. Not only that, but many adults are also struggling with the same feelings that all hope has been lost. For example, one recent study conducted by the Harvard Public Opinion Project has revealed that 47% of young adults between the ages of 18 to 29, they also reported feeling down, depressed, or hopeless at least several days out of the week. And listen, there's good reason for us to think that the emotional state of America is only going to grow worse and worse the closer we get to the rapture of the church. I base this projection on the prophecy that Paul presented to Pastor Timothy as he described the last days as a time when people will become self-centered narcissists who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's how Paul describes the last days. People will be lovers of personal pleasure rather than lovers of God. And knowing that the pursuit of selfish pleasure will only end up with feelings of hopelessness, well, it only stands to reason that the percentage of hopeless people will continue to increase the closer we get to the rapture of the church. And you better believe that this is going to result in in an ever-increasing mental health crisis here in our country. Thankfully for us, we don't have to be those who are hopeless. We don't have to be those people who are hopeless. We don't have to be demoralized with daily depression. You see, those who truly trust in the Lord Jesus can actually have a heart that is filled with heavenly hope, and yeah, even during these dark days. And as we make our way through the text before us today, we'll begin to see, first of all, that our heart is filled with hope by faith. Secondly, we'll learn that our heart is filled with hope by focus. Thirdly, we'll learn that our heart is filled with hope by favor with this as the outline. Let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Here we find Paul. He's describing the the hope that filled his heart. And as you make your way to the second chapter of Philippians, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. It'll first help us to remember that Paul spent the first 18 verses of this chapter encouraging the Christians there in Philippi to recognize the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And while it's true that we ought to submit to the authority of our Savior because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, well, it's also true that we ought to submit to our Savior because he is the source of true hope. We ought to recognize the authority of Jesus Christ and so submit our lives to our Savior, but we must also realize that he is the source of true hope in this hopeless world. In order to make my case, I want to pick up our study of Philippians chapter 2. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 19, here Paul goes on to declare, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Now here in our text today, we find Paul, he's encouraging the hearts of the Christians who were there in Philippi. And he encourages them by informing them about his plans to send Timothy as soon as it was possible. This is the same Timothy that Paul met in Lystra during his second missionary journey. And it was at that point in time when Timothy joined Paul's mission team as they left Lystra and headed straight to Macedonia. And after arriving there in Macedonia, they ended up there in the city of Philippi and It was there in Philippi where Paul and Timothy began to minister to the people of Philippi. And so I have no doubt that the church there in Philippi uh, was excited to hear about Paul's plan to send Timothy back to them. I'm sure that they were looking forward to seeing uh, the, the man who helped plant that church. Not only that, but Paul was also filled with hope as he prayerfully prepared to send his young protege, Pastor Timothy, I want to consider how he puts it here in our text today. Look again there, beginning at verse 19. Here again, Paul declares, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Now, uh, here again in this verse, we find Paul sharing his concern regarding the state of the church there in Philippi, he's concerned about the state of the church there. And, and while I have no doubt that Paul wanted to send Timothy to Philippi in order to c- encourage those who you know were struggling with hopelessness, Paul also confessed that he was sending Timothy because he was hoping to hear an encouraging report. He, he was hoping to hear that all was well there at the church in Philippi. At the same time, we must not fail to notice that Paul's hope was actually based on his faith in the Lord. He was hoping for a good report from Timothy, but his true hope was in the Lord. To make my case, let's take a closer look again at verse 19. Here again, Paul declares, I trust in the Lord Jesus. To send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Now, as we take take a closer look at this verse, we must not fail to notice here that Paul wasn't trusting in Timothy. He wasn't trusting in Timothy, nor was he trusting in the believers there in Philippi to make sure that everything was going well. No, instead, Paul says, "I trust in the Lord." He says, "I trust in the Lord Jesus." Just to be clear, it'll help you to know that the Greek word here, which is rendered "trust." Well, it was actually used in a religious sense in, in reference to the joyful and confident expectation of salvation, which is oftentimes called hope. This trust was a joyful and confident expectation of salvation, and, and this gr- original Greek word is oftentimes rendered hope. It's for this reason that the scholars who created the Christian Standard Bible, they render verse 19 in this way, Now I hope. In the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. They render that word trust, hope, here in the Christian Standard Bible. Not only that, but uh, but it's uh, it's it's in uh, found this way in at least thirteen English version versions of the Bible. At least 13 English versions of the Bible translate that that Greek word hope. This includes the NIV, the ESV, the NASB, and the BBE. Now as we consider the prevalence of this translation using the English word hope, well we can be certain then that Paul had a heart that was filled with hope. And the reason why is because he was completely trusting in the Lord Jesus. His hope was in Jesus. And in light of Paul's example, I want to take a moment to connect the dots between faith and hope. With this as the focus, I I want to consider the way that Paul defines the word faith in the letter that he sent to his Hebrew kinsmen. And so hold your place here in the book of Philippians, and let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. As you make your way to the 11th chapter of Hebrews, I just want to take a moment to point out that Hebrews 11 is commonly called the Hall of Faith. And the reason why, well, it's because Paul presents us here with a list of Old Testament saints who were known to be people of faith and, and who were saved by their faith in the promises of our Messiah. It's here in the beginning of this hall of faith where Paul takes the time first to provide us with a working definition of the word faith. Faith. Look with me there at Hebrews chapter 11. I want to focus your attention there at verse 1. Here Paul declares, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not yet seen. Paul was helping his Hebrew audience to understand that our faith in the Lord Jesus is actually the substance or what you might call the firm foundation from which hope fills the hearts of those who are looking forward to the day when we will finally and forever be redeemed. In other words, those who place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will stand upon a firm foundation of faith that fills us with the joyful and confident expectation of salvation. And it's the joyful and confident expectation of salvation that fills our hearts with hope. Faith fills our hearts with hope so long as that faith is placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Place your faith in yourself, hopelessness. Place your faith in the world, hopelessness. Place your faith in the economy. Place your faith in government. Place your faith in anything but Jesus Christ. You end up with hopelessness. Place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your heart is filled with hope. Because it's in Jesus that we have the joyful and confident expectation of salvation, which is our hope. I like the way that Paul explains it in Colossians chapter 1, it's verse 27, where he refers to the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, those who trust in Jesus Christ are then indwelt by the Spirit of our Savior, and as we continue to walk by faith in the Lord Jesus, our heart is then filled with hope as we realize that we've been sealed by the spirit of the living God until the day when we finally receive our glorified bodies, and in this we hope. In this way, we can see how our faith in Christ has become the source of everlasting hope. And it's not I hope so, but I know so, and so I have hope. That being the case, every born-again believer should have a heart that's filled with hope. If you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you should have hope in your heart. Paul put it best in Romans chapter 5. It's there where he declares, Therefore, having been justified, not I hope we will be justified, but for the believer, we've been justified by faith, and so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access to, by faith, into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in what? In hope of the glory of God. Those who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ have not only received the grace of God by which we're saved, but we've also received the peace that enables us to rejoice in knowing that we've been set free from the condemnation of the law and knowing that we've been set free from the condemnation of the law, the born-again believer now is able to rejoice with a heart that is filled with the joyful and confident expectation that we call hope. So how about you? Is your heart filled with hope this morning? Or are you still struggling with feelings of hopelessness? And if you are, in fact, a born-again believer who is still struggling with feelings of hopelessness, then the question you ought to ask yourself is this. Am I truly trusting in Jesus Christ? Think about it. If it's true that our faith in Jesus will fill our hearts with hope, well, then it only stands to reason that the Christian who feels hopeless is clearly struggling to stand on the firm foundation of faith. If you're struggling with feelings of hopelessness, then are you truly trusting in Jesus Christ? If you've been feeling like all hope is lost, then I encourage you, shift your focus. Shift your focus from whatever is causing you to feel hopeless and fix your focus on the things that fill our hearts with faith. If you're focused on those things that fill your heart with fear, stop focusing on those things. Maybe you need to turn off the news. Maybe you need to to stop communicating with someone who's always a downer in your life. Maybe you need to, you know, get away from from some habit or something. Whatever whatever is filling your heart with fear, you need to get, get away from that. And shift your focus back to your faith in Jesus Christ because those who are truly trusting in Jesus will have a heart that is filled with hope. Now this brings us to our second point because listen, our heart is not only filled with hope by faith in Jesus Christ, but our heart is also filled with hope when we focus our minds on our calling in Christ. And with this as the focus, let's make our way back to Philippians chapter 2. Here we find Paul, he's encouraging his audience to keep their focus On the Lord Jesus. And I want to consider how Paul puts it here in our text today. If you would, let's back up and begin reading once again there at verse 19. Here again, Paul declares, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send to you shortly, uh, to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. Here in these verses, we find Paul, he's once again using the same Greek word, which was rendered trust, back in verse 19. That original Greek word rendered trust in verse 19. Here uh, in verse 23, we find it rendered to our English word hope. And while it's true that Paul's hope was based on his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's also true that his heart was also filled with hope as he considered the trustworthiness of his spiritual son, Timothy. I'll remind you that Paul was writing this letter to the church in Philippi from the confines of his prison cell. This is one of Paul's prison epistles, and it's for this reason that he was unable to personally go and meet with the Christians there in Philippi. And with that being the case, Paul's heart was filled with hope as he prepared to send his young protege back to the church that Timothy, remember, had helped to plant 13 years earlier. Now, in order to better understand the hope that Paul had in Timothy, I want to take a closer look at this paragraph. Look with me again there, beginning at verse 20. Here Paul declares, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Here in these verses we find Paul, he's describing Timothy as being the only believer that he knew, who was truly seeking the things of Christ Jesus? And while it's true that there were many believers who spent some time traveling with Paul, many believers who had taken part or in in, uh, in uh, you know some small measure of his missionary journeys. Well, it's also true that the majority of those believers eventually returned uh, you know, to, their, to the search for their, their own things. They, they were seeking after their own things or the secular things of this world. And as a result, Paul probably struggled with feelings of disappointment as he realized that you know there were many believers who uh, uh, you, you know, were just doing their own thing and, and, and there weren't many who were sharing the same faithful focus which was leading him to serve our Savior. You see, Paul was ready to sacrifice everything so that he could serve his Savior. And, and he was saying there's, there's not many with the same mindset. Timothy was one of the few. Paul even elaborate, elaborated on this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's verses 10 and 11, where Paul declares this. He says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Now, to to sum it up with simplicity here, most of the believers that Paul personally discipled had departed from the mission field there came a day in their lives where they found themselves at a fork in the road and they were going to either continue with Paul or go back to you know, the, the, whatever it is they were interested in. And so Paul describes here a couple of believers here who one went one way and one went another and they had all forsaken him. And, and you know, Paul later complains a bit about how at his first offense no one stood with him but then shifted his faith, uh, faith back to his focus in the Lord. And listen, with all of this in mind, as Paul you know, kind of found himself in this place where he was all standing by himself, you know, this, this could have been a reason for a heart filled with hopelessness. You know, you know, just, just knowing human nature and, and considering being left all alone on the mission field, even, even at his most vulnerable time of being arrested. Nobody stood with him, and, and that would be reason to have a heart filled with hopelessness. And, and I have no doubt that Paul struggled with those feelings. I don't, I don't think Paul was some sort of Superman who, who had no emotions. But rather than succumbing to those feelings of hopelessness, Paul instead had a heart that was filled with hope. And one reason why is because he thought of Timothy. Timothy. And he thought about the way that Timothy shared the same heart that he had. He knew that Timothy was a believer who was focusing his faith, not on what he wanted, but on what the Lord wanted. I want to consider again how Paul explains it here in our text today. So look with me again, beginning at verse 20. Here again, Paul declares, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Here Paul is presenting this contrast between those who had forsaken him because they were seeking something other than than, than God's will and, and the contrast between those believers and the one believer who shared the same mindset that Paul had. Timothy was the only believer Paul knew who was sharing the same sincere care for the Christians who were there at the church in Philippi. And just to be clear, uh, the Greek word that's rendered like-minded, as we consider what we mean by, you know, being like-minded, it speaks of those who share the same affections as well as the same aversions. Timothy had the same affections that Paul had. Timothy had the same aversions that Paul had. And what this means is that Paul and Timothy shared the same focused desire to serve our Savior, no matter the cost. To further make my case, let's consider how Paul explains it here in our text today. And so look with me again. We'll pick up at verse 22. Here Paul declares, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served me, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. Now here in these verses, we find Paul, he's Reminding the Christians there in Philippi, he's reminding them about the proven character of Timothy. In other words, they knew that Timothy was a trustworthy believer who was like a son to Paul. And from the day he arrived in Philippi 13 years earlier until the day when Paul sent you know, Timothy out to pastor the church in Ephesus. Throughout that entire period of time, Timothy had consistently proven himself to be a Christian of Christ like character as he served our Savior with a focused faith. His faith was focused on his calling in Christ, regardless of what that calling was. And it's for this reason that Paul's heart was filled with hope as he considered the focused faith of Timothy. And in order to grasp my point here, it's important for us to understand that Paul wasn't just thinking about establishing the first century church. His hope wasn't just in Timothy and how Timothy might affect the church there in Philippi. No, instead, Paul was also concerned about the second century church. And Paul was concerned about the 3rd century church, and the 4th century church, and so on and so forth. Paul was concerned about raising up leaders who could help accomplish the Great Commission there in the 1st century, so that the the church would also be found in the 2nd century, and the 3rd century, and all centuries until the end of the church age. And while I have no doubt that there were many disciples who disappointed Paul along the way, well, he decided to focus his attention on the disciples, like Timothy, who shared his same focus of faith. He was looking for those leaders who had a like-minded focus. And in this way, Paul ended up overcoming his feelings of hopelessness by focusing on those who filled his heart with hope. Rather than spinning his wheels on people who were never going to have the same mindset, Paul dialed in on those who would. Paul spent his time raising up those like Timothy who would carry forth the Great Commission. To further explain my point here, we should consider the encouragement that the Apostle Peter presents in his first epistle, And so if you would hold your place here in the book of Philippi or Philippians, I should say, and let's turn in our Bibles to First Peter chapter one. Now as you make your way to the first chapter of First Peter, I just want to take a moment to point out that those who struggle with feelings of hopelessness are typically focusing their attention on hopeless things. If you struggle with feelings of hopelessness, then chances are you're focusing your attention on hopeless things and you're spinning your wheels on things that, well, there is no hope. Whether we're talking about songs with depressing lyrics, you know, some some Christians just keep listening to this secular music that, you know, is all focused on, you know, hopelessness and, and then they wonder why they're so depressed. Well, quit listening to Morsi. You know, I mean, how sad do you want to be? Or they're, they're, you know, watching movies focused in on hopelessness. Movies that have plots that just kind of deliver up this hopeless message. Well, why would you watch such a thing? Listen, those who constantly fill their minds with hopeless ideas shouldn't be surprised if their heart is filled with hopeless thoughts. It's been rightly said, garbage in, garbage out. If you focus your mind on garbage, then you're going to have garbage thoughts and you're going to have a heart that's filled with garbage. With that, I encourage you to... Be mindful of the things you focus your mind on. And I want to consider the encouragement that the Apostle Peter presents here in 1 Peter chapter 1. If you would look with me there, we'll begin at verse 13. Here Peter declares, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. But as he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now here in these verses we find the Apostle Peter. He's helping his audience to grasp the connection between the focus of our minds and the hope that fills our hearts. There's a connection between the focus of our mind and the feelings of hope or hopelessness that's found in our hearts. And to sum it up with simplicity, listen, we ought to first focus our minds on the revelation of Jesus Christ and then with the sober-minded desire to walk in obedience with Jesus, the grace of God fills our hearts with hope as we conform our lives to the holiness of the Lord. It really is that simple. The believer who fails to maintain their sobriety will then also struggle to focus on the one who can fill our hearts with hope. That's what Peter says. Gird up the loins of your mind. Focus your mind in sobriety. That's what he says. Well, I've got the liberty to do this. I've got the liberty to just have a little bit of crack cocaine, you know? It's just, what? sobriety is the path that the Lord has for us. We need to have a sober mind in order to focus our minds properly on the Lord Jesus who then fills our hearts with hope. And listen, the the Christian who struggles to maintain their sobriety is probably also the same Christian who continues to focus their mind on the lusts Found in this fallen world, and those who focus their minds on the lusts found in this fallen world will end up suffering from a heart that is overflowing with hopelessness. That's what Peter says. He says, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that has been brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Before you came to Christ, you were ignorant that those things would fill your hearts with hopelessness. But now you should know better. So quit resorting to things that rob you of sobriety and stop looking for those things that you lust after and then you'll have a heart that's filled with hope. I encourage every Christian to to see this connection between our focus and the hope that is found in our hearts. If you focus on the wrong thing, Don't be surprised when you have a heart filled with hopelessness. If you focus your mind in sobriety on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can rest your hope fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what about you? Are you struggling in a state of hopeless despair this morning? If so, then I encourage you to prepare your minds for action by remaining sober-minded. And as you remain sober-minded, then you can set your hope fully on the grace That is brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I I like the way that the prophet Jeremiah puts it in Lamentations chapter 3. It's there where he declares, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Christian, listen, the soul who is seeking the Lord each and every day will have a heart that is filled with hope. And one reason why is because the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Do you wake up and seek those mercies? We have to wake up every morning and seek the mercies of God, those new, beautiful mercies, the compassion that God has for us every single day. We ought to seek that in hope. We should set our minds on the mercies of God every morning so that we can live the rest of our day with a heart filled with hope, knowing that no matter how bad we blow it today, his mercies are new again tomorrow morning. Isn't that incredible? And as we consider the way that the Lord has promised to provide us with an everlasting inheritance, those who fix their faith on the Lord will have a heart That's filled with hope. And this brings us to our third point because, listen, our heart is not only filled with hope by faith in Jesus Christ, and our heart is not only filled with hope when we focus our minds on our calling in Christ, but our heart is also filled with hope when we walk in the favor of our Savior. And with this as the focus, let's make our way back to Philippians chapter 2. Here we find Paul. He's reminding his readers about the way that Timothy walked in the favor of the Lord. And I want to look here, backing up and beginning at verse 22. Here, Paul again declares, but you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. As we take a closer look at these verses, you know, we must not fail to notice that Paul's heart was not only filled with hope because he knew that Timothy had a like-minded focus, but his heart was also filled with hope because he knew that Timothy was a dedicated disciple who wanted nothing more than to spend the rest of his life sharing the gospel message of grace. And just to be clear, that word gospel found there at the end of verse 22, it's translated from a Greek word which was used in reference to the glad tidings uh, of salvation which is found in Christ Jesus. And it's also important to note that the gospel message of grace, it's the good news by which sinners are able to receive the favor of God that results in our forgiveness. That's right. Those who embrace the gospel of grace by faith in Jesus Christ simultaneously receive the unearned and unmerited favor of God, which cleanses us from the stain of sin. It's, the grace of God is known as the favor of God because it can't be earned and we don't deserve it. It's simply favor. What this also means is that the believers who are preaching the gospel message of grace, well, they're also helping hopeless unbelievers to realize that we have hope in Christ. The believers who preach the gospel message of grace are helping hopeless unbelievers to receive the favor of which fills our hearts with hope. And I like the way that Paul explains it back in the beginning of this book. It's Philippians chapter 1. It's beginning there in verse 3 where Paul declares, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus just as it is right for me to think this of you all because i have you in my heart in as much as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel you are all partakers with me of grace as we consider the introduction of this epistle we can see here that those who have embraced the gospel message of our Messiah have, according to Paul, become partakers of the grace by which we're saved. And just to be clear, that word grace, it's translated from the Greek word charis. And while the Greek word charis is normally translated grace, the same word can also be rendered favor. The reason why is because the grace of God is the favor that fills our hearts with hope as we receive the forgiveness of our sins. I can personally testify to the way in which the gracious favor of God filled my heart with hope. It was actually back in the early 90s when my heart was completely filled with hopelessness. You know, I wasn't preparing to commit suicide, but let's just say that I'd spent a great deal of time listening to suicidal tendencies and had a lot of ideas about it. I spent my youth pursuing the pleasures of this world and all of this after buying into the belief that fame and fortune would equal happiness. That's the bill of goods the world had sold me and I bought into it and I set out to achieve, you know, some level of fame with art and music and after achieving a small taste of that fame here in Austin's art and music scene, you know, it didn't take long for me to realize that the fame and the fortune that I was beginning to acquire wasn't making me any more happy. As a matter of fact, it was only making me more miserable. It didn't take long for me to realize that the further I went down this road, the more hopeless I would feel. The more fame, the more fortune that I acquired, the more hopeless I would feel. And it's for this reason that I was becoming more and more depressed as my happiness was being replaced with hopelessness the happiness of the vision of becoming famous, acquiring more fortune, that happiness of I can't wait to get there was replaced with hopelessness the more I received. Thankfully, the Lord sent an old friend who had himself become a believer. And he came and presented me with the gospel message of our Messiah. Now, rather than receiving the good news, I set out to convince my friend that he was wrong, that he had been duped, you know, that religion was, you know, just the man's way of controlling the masses and these sorts of things. But rather than proving him wrong, I began to realize that the historical evidence surrounding the gospel message, the historical evidence surrounding the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior was extremely convincing, And as a result, I was not only convinced by the evidence, but I was converted to Christ after coming to the conclusion that the gospel of grace is true. I was convinced by the evidence, but then my life was changed by the favor that I received by faith in Jesus Christ. You see, that favor resulted in my forgiveness. And I knew the moment that I was forgiven. It was at that moment when the favor of God filled my heart with hope, and and it was a hope of everlasting glory. I remember it was at the moment of my conversion when my hopeless heart was immediately filled with the joy of Jesus. It was filled with that joyful and confident expectation of, of eternal salvation. And it was in that very same moment when my heart was filled with the desire to share that hope with others. As a matter of fact, I came to faith in Jesus Christ while I was at work at Tower Records. And after having that conversion moment there at work, I started telling some of my buddies there at work that I'd just met Jesus and that I was super excited that I was forgiven and they just thought I was at Now, we were all drug addicts, but they thought I was Crazy. but my heart was filled with the desire to share that hope with my friends. And I immediately began to tell others about the heavenly hope that we can receive by simply receiving the favor of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but I was filled with a new desire, a desire I'd never experienced before in my life. It was the desire to go to church. I, now, my mom drugged me off to church when I was a little kid, never wanted to go. And the minute she mistakenly gave me the right to make up my own mind about church, yeah, I didn't go anymore. Parents don't make that mistake. Well, you're old enough to make up your own mind. Nope. If they live in your house, you drag them to church. When they pay their own bills, they can decide whether to go to church or not. Amen. But for the first time in my life, I had a desire to go to church. And one reason why is because I wanted to spend time with others who had received the same favor. See, the people that I used to hang out with, they didn't understand it. They thought I was cuckoo. But then I showed up to church surrounded by others who had received the same favor. And it was like, we're all speaking the same language. We all have the same hope. And it became a pleasure to go to church. it became a joy to find myself surrounded by others who had the same hope in their hearts. Now in light of my own experience, I just want to take a moment to consider the hope that Paul was expressing here in our text today as he longed to go back to the church there in Philippi. Let's take one last look at the statement that Paul presents here in verse 24. Here he declares, I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Now, I don't know if this was a, you know, a short joke on himself. I mean, Paul was a short man and I'm thinking that he's probably, you know, thinking that this is kind of funny. Maybe, I don't know. I think it's funny. But Paul says, I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. And as we consider this statement, it's important to remember that Paul was writing this epistle from prison. So he can't just get up and go to church And while he was happy to share the gospel message with his prison guards, I have no doubt that he was struggling with feelings of hopelessness as he endured his incarceration because he couldn't just go to the worship service. He couldn't just go and sing uh, the songs of praise with others in his Christian community. And I'm certain that, you know, he's probably just thinking, God, why? Why can't can't I get out of here? Why can't I go to church? Why can't I go hang out with other believers? Paul loved to spend time at church as he fellowshiped with other believers who had received the favor of God. With this as his desire, it's not difficult to imagine that Paul was wrestling with those feelings of hopelessness as he longed for the day when he could finally return to the church there in Philippi to be surrounded by these people that he loved so much. And while it would have been easy for him to uh, allow himself to be engulfed by the hopeless feelings of his incarceration... Paul wasn't. He he was not a hopeless man. No, instead, his heart was filled with the joyful and confident expectation that he would soon be set free according to the favor of God. And to prove my point, it'll help you to know that the word trust, which is found there in verse 24, it's translated from another Greek word, which was used of those who win the favor of another. And in this context, Paul here is seeking the favor of the Lord so that he could... Get out of his prison cell and then return to the church that was there in Philippi. And in light of his example, I just want to take a moment to consider our own lives by asking this. We should ask ourselves, am I a hopeful believer who is walking in the gracious favor of God as I look forward to fellowship with other believers? Or am I still incarcerated in a prison of hopelessness as I allow the enemy to control my emotional state Are we hopeful believers who are looking forward to fellowshipping with others who have also received the grace of God, or is our heart still filled with the feelings of hopelessness because we're searching for favor just in all the wrong places? Is our heart filled with hope as we share the gospel message of grace with those who still need the favor of God? Or have we lost sight of the fact that the gracious favor of God is the source of our heavenly hope? Now, with all these questions in mind, I just want to take a moment to consider something that Paul wrote to Pastor Titus. It's actually found in Titus chapter 3. There Paul declares, When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Here we find Paul reminding Pastor Titus about the kindness and the love of God, our Savior. And as Paul reminded Titus that our salvation is a gracious gift of favor, which is received by faith, by faith alone. He also took the time to point out that those who have been justified by the favor of God's grace, well, we've also become heirs with Christ according to the hope of eternal life. That's right. Every born again believer here today has become an heir or co-heirs with Christ. And it's 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 an inheritance. Paul's referring to an inheritance that fills our hearts with the hope of eternal life. Now imagine for a moment, imagine that you wake up tomorrow and you receive a notification that leads you to realize that a distant relative has left you a huge inheritance worth more than a billion dollars. Wouldn't that be nice? What sort of hope would fill your heart as you consider how this inheritance Would set you free immediately from every debt? You know, after quitting your job, um, I have no doubt that you would begin to live your life a little differently. Wouldn't you? If you woke up and discovered that you just inherited a billion dollars, wouldn't you immediately begin to live your life a little differently? You know, no longer worried about your bills hopeful about what you might do tomorrow. And with that being the case, I encourage you to realize you've been guaranteed an eternal inheritance. You are an heir of an inheritance that's worth more than a billion dollars. Those who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have received the gracious favor that ensures an everlasting inheritance which we will enjoy forevermore. I'm not saying quit your job tomorrow. But shouldn't we live a little differently with this knowledge? Shouldn't we live with a heart that's filled with hope? Knowing that we have an eternal inheritance that we will enjoy forevermore in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With all this in mind, I want to conclude this study by once again asking, are you overwhelmed by feelings of hopelessness? Are you a born-again believer who is still allowing hopelessness to rule your life? And if so, I ask why? I encourage you in closing to remember that our heart is filled with hope as we walk by faith with Jesus Christ. Our heart is also filled with hope when we focus our minds on our calling in Christ. And finally, our heart is filled with hope when we walk in the favor of our Savior, Jesus. Especially as we look forward to the everlasting inheritance that we will receive in the presence of of the Lord Jesus. There's no reason for us to suffer with hopelessness when the Lord Jesus has given us so many reasons to have hope in our hearts. And knowing that the Lord is able to fill our hearts with hope, I encourage every born-again believer here this morning to embrace the faith and the focus and the favor that will help us to have a hopeful heart. Let's pray.